This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp Edition. These bonus episodes will launch each Friday in October and November and feature myself and other Sportsman's Empire podcast hosts from around the country. Follow along as we update each other on recent sightings and deer activity, share strategies we're employing to get us on deer, and just enjoy a relaxed deer camp atmosphere. As we get started, I want to thank all the partners that help us make this show possible. First up, Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras for outdoorsmen. Tacticam 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them like you're back in the moment and so you can share them with family and friends. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K 60 frame per second footage, up to 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, and one touch operation. And the best part of it is you get all of this in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released their Solo Extreme camera that provides all the features you love from other Tacticam cameras, but in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. This year, I'll be wearing the Tarnan pattern, hunting the Piney Hills of the Southeast, and the farmland mosaic of the Midwest, and I have confidence that this pattern is going to perform flawlessly no matter the environment where I find myself. You should also take a look at some of their packs. They're, in my opinion, some of the best out there for the mobile hunter and uh, I think are unbeatable at their price point. You can go check them out, see their full line of products at huntworthgear.com. And finally, Deer Lab is the number one app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, to learn more about all their awesome features and to sign up for a 30-day free trial. When you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. Now let's get into this week's show. Welcome to Deer Camp. All right, guys, joining me this week for the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp edition, I have Jeremy Dinsmore, Andrew Munts, and John Hudspeth on. What's up, guys? What's going on, man? Just another day. Doing good. <laughs> this is uh, so. This is a new thing we're doing this year on the How to Hunt Deer podcast. It is uh, our Deer Camp, and you know the Sportsman's Empire podcast network is made up of guys from all around the country who are hunting deer in all sorts of different scenarios. And we were joking off air. We're like one big, happy, dysfunctional family. And I thought, what cooler thing than actually getting to share deer camp together? Now, we don't live close enough together where we can actually do that. But I thought, hey, let's do a virtual deer camp where we talk about some of the things that we would talk about if we were in camp together. You know, if we were sitting around a bonfire, or sitting around the, you know, the kitchen table after, after a hunt and say, you know, What'd you see today or what'd you do today or what'd you fail on today or that kind of thing and maybe give each other some crap about it. And then, uh, you know, the other, the, the less 
um, appropriate parts of deer camp. Maybe we'll leave that out uh, of the conversation. But um, anyway, yeah, man. So let's kick it off kind of by introducing everybody. Jeremy, why don't you go first? Tell us who you are, what you do, and kind of like what's your place here in the Sportsman's Empire Network. Awesome. Thanks, Josh, for, for having us doing this. This was a great idea, and I, I love it. It gives a, a chance for me to meet fellow podcasters also on the network since, you know, we're, we're the new kids on the block, I guess you could say. And uh, so my name is Jeremy Dinsmore out here in central Pennsylvania, just outside of State College. I teach at State College High School, so I'm a health and phys ed teacher. Uh, that's my, my day job. And uh, me and my buddy, Dimitri Sidoric, we run the Antler Up. Uh, podcast now this January will be three years. Uh, we'll be doing this and, uh, yeah, we're, we're new to the network. We drop every Wednesday and, you know, we're, we're, uh, we love talking to people. We love education. So obviously me being an educator, our podcast is very education based, uh, you know, always looking to learn and develop and grow and, uh, be a better hunter and individual. And, you know, we have people on from all walks of life, whether it be gear, hunting strategies, uh, you name it, man, mental toughness. Uh, well, that's what we're all about of, of, uh, you know, growing and getting better. And hopefully our listeners are, get something out of that as well. Yeah, man. So you're in central PA is most, or is all of your hunting there in PA or do you, do you do a little bit of traveling? Uh, you know, I've mainly, uh, out of Pennsylvania. I, I would say the last couple of years I've had the opportunity to go on some out of state hunts and, uh, on each one, I get my, my butt kicked. So I'm, I'm anxious to finally <laughs> go, go to a, a out of state hunt where it could kind of come together. But I did a Western hunt a couple of years ago, went out for mule deer out in Utah. Uh, I did an early season, uh, Delaware hunt for, for whitetail, uh, last season. And this year, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit off air of, of things that, you know, we could maybe improve upon. And one of those things for me personally was to, to scout, uh, a little bit better because I was, I'm uh, not anymore, but I was for the last couple of years, uh, for the last nine years, I was part of a, uh, our baseball program as a coach. And the last four years I was our varsity head coach. So when the spring came and after, you know, the, the regular bow season ended, my scouting sessions were really not that great just because I was gone all fall and, and winter for hunting. And then next thing you know, it, I'm in the preseason mode and actual baseball season mode. So when my free time was, you know, available, it was designated to my wife and my daughter for sure. So uh, I wanted to do a better job scouting and uh, hopefully this year pays off. Uh, so, you know, I just, uh, we'll kind of go from there with it. So hopefully, hopefully PA is right now is, is the only cards in the game plan this year. So if, uh, if all luck fails, you know, comes into play and I'm able to, strike gold and fill that tag early on and you know a neighboring state whether it be maryland new york ohio and uh, i know like i said my co-host dimitri he's going to be going to uh, ohio at the end of, of october so you know something i know he's really excited and looking forward to man that's awesome so have you you know man one of the things that that i want to work on for next year because i'm heading into this year feeling like i haven't scouted at all and one of the things that i really want to work on is saying, okay, I'm going to cover this amount of ground for the year. I don't know where to start that number at, though, but I'm thinking somewhere around 40 miles, you know, like I'm dedicating it because I'm, I'm hunting in a whole new area now. But, um, yeah, so I'm, do you have like a number benchmark that you're hoping to hit? You know, honestly, it wasn't necessarily a number of miles. It was mainly uh, 
chunks of pieces for me. It was, you know, I've always, it just seems like I have all these spots on whatever app, you know, application that you use. It just seems like I have all these pins and it's like, man, I got to finally put boots to the ground because on, you know, on the map, it looks really good. What does it look like in person? So my goal was this, this year to do that was actually check off those areas, walk through them and, and dive in deeper to see, you know, when you think you found pretty good, does it get better? And if it doesn't great, you could cross that off the list. And if it does, then even better type of ordeal. So that was my game plan. It wasn't necessarily the miles. Cause again, I didn't have that much time cause I just resigned this past summer. Uh, so it was kind of that late spring and actually summertime scouting that, you know, a lot of people I know don't really care for because of, you know, ticks and the weather and obviously the greenery. But I feel like if you have that pre scouting on the digital side of things, you kind of know what you're looking for. And if you could find that, that, you know, old sign, it, it could kind of hopefully play a role and that's where we're letting a camera or two or three soak and, hopefully come fall it, it, it's doing what it's uh you hope that it does and as of right now i'm i'm very hopeful and fingers crossed for this year awesome man awesome well uh mr months let's get on to you what's up uh what's up your way man where are you from what do you do where do you hunt uh so i'm my name is andrew months and i am the co-host of the ohio outdoors podcast o2 podcast but we it's uh, me and paul and we're a couple average Joes at best, and we just try to. Our show is Ohio centric, but kind of you know Midwestern in general. We we try to bring on people from the state, and the, you know the Department of Natural Resources, uh, and then other guests and stuff that can bring us some some more topics and, and just to learn about. Uh, a lot of times, it's 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 learning people's history and and how they got to be where they're at and. Uh, telling stories, that kind of stuff. So it's it's been fun. We've been at this for just over a year now, I guess, and um, it's going well. So awesome, man! You guys recently got to go to the the half rack event in in Wisconsin, and I saw you guys were there and several other folks from the from the network. And the I felt like the only guy that wasn't there was the guy hosting the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast. You were there at heart. I know you were, dude. Uh, I wanted to be, man. I was there last year. At their That's first Yeah, no, that was a, that was a good time. Actually, we've been quite a few places. We've been to we went to ATA last year. We went to Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, for the Great American Outdoors Show. Descendant Slam down in Louisville, and then yeah, we were up there in uh, what was it? I can't Waterford. Is that what the town it was? Yep. Um, yep. yep. Spanky's Bar there. and Grill at Spanky's, and Paul made sure we went to the Cheese Castle, and we did all kinds of fun stuff so uh that was that was cool we got to hang out uh dan matthews from nomadic outdoorsman was there and uh, eric from oks hunter so and a couple other more podcasting folks and it was good good event for conservation and all that kind of stuff yeah that's awesome man so i've got to ask before we get to john not to not to put him off but uh are you guys going to ata this year anybody on here that's the plan i think it's in indianapolis right yep yeah yeah, I, hopefully we'll see. I know there's personal things that I got to uh, figure out on our side of how to manage that. Last year I was able to get, attend with Tethered, so we'll see how uh, how maybe hopefully I get there this year. Yeah, hey, let's connect on that because I'm trying to figure that out too. So sweet. Yeah, 
Uh, all right, John. Did we What's lose up? John? Oh, there he is. Okay, man, John, you've got a you've got <laughs> no, a two month old. You got a two month old at home, right? I do. So this uh, this is my first child, and so deer season is going to be very interesting for me. And it starts in two days, so we're already kind of trying to uh, to figure out how that's going to work. But uh, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, I love my little girl, so wouldn't trade it at all. And uh, so yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, John here from the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Uh, we got an episode coming out every Monday, and uh, I, I'm I'm basically kind of the Southwest guy. Uh, I think I'm two states away from anybody else on the network. Um, we got the guys in Missouri, and then we got Parker over there in Alabama. But uh, yeah, I I mostly hunt Oklahoma and Texas. Um, we have a lot of people on the show who hunt Kansas uh, from Northern Oklahoma and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, uh, Oklahoma is kind of a, a unique thing because it's. It's not Texas exactly, and it's not the Midwest exactly. It's just just like it is geographically. It's kind of somewhere in between. Um, it's a uh, it's a bait state, so you kind of get the whole feeder and blind aspect like you do in Texas. <clears throat> but uh, geographically and topography wise, it's more like the Midwest. You know, we're definitely not that like South Texas brush country or anything like that. Although Western Oklahoma actually it is, and so. Um, Oklahoma is a very, very unique state. Most people don't even know how unique it is. Um, I'm where I hunt is like an hour from small mountains. Uh, and then you go out West and you got kind of sand hill type stuff. Um, we have, uh, elk hunting. We actually have a bear season. We have whitetail. We have a small population of mule deer. We have a small population of antelope. So very, very unique state, way more unique than most people realize. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of what we're about. Um, I do a lot of bow hunting in Oklahoma. Um, we have a one-week muzzleloader. We have a two-week rifle. Um, and then, again, I'm, so I've, I've pretty much my entire life, other than college, I've lived really close to the Red River, the, the border between Oklahoma and Texas. I actually grew up in Texas. Um, and so I do a decent amount of hunting over in Texas. Um, probably a lot of it is the type of hunting that most people who listen to this will kind of roll their eyes at and see, uh, you know, sitting in an elevated blind, uh, over a feeder type hunting. Um, but man, it's, it's unique. And I'm telling you after sitting, you know, day in and day out in a tree stand, hoping for somebody to come, you know, hoping for a deer to come by at 20 yards, uh, sitting in that nice blind, um, in the shade, looking over a feeder, it's kind of nice every now and again. Yeah, man. I, I heard that, that, you know, I've. All right, so I've hunted southern Wisconsin, which I would put up there with some of the best deer habitat and best deer hunting, even on public land um, around. I mean, Wisconsin gets a bad rap because of the number of deer that are killed during rifle season, but, man, there's really good hunting. And then I've also hunted down south in some bait states where you go and you sit in a nice, nice blind or a nice shooting house, as we would call it, and you're sitting over a corn pile or something like that. And, man, I tell you what, hunting over bait can be way more difficult than hunting off the edge of an ag field in the Midwest. Like, it just, it can it can be super tough, man. And it, it can be a mental game, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It, uh, to kill a mature buck over a feeder or bait or whatever, uh, it takes a lot more than most people realize. And, uh, the example I like to use, I, I have a buck that, uh, he actually shrunk this year. I just, I've gotten a few pictures of him uh, just last week or two, but, uh, I have a, I mean, right at Boone type buck, you know, right in that 170 class. Um, I've had a, a tree stand and a feeder that he's been at, you know, almost every night for the past two years. 
Um, not every night, but, you know, during the season he's at a lot. And I think I've actually gone to, to sit there to hunt that buck maybe four times in two years uh, because, you know, he's only, he's only coming at night. And if you go in there and try to hunt him before he's coming in daylight, it's, you're just hurting yourself. And so mm-hmm. even a giant, you know, good buck like that, it's just not worth it. Yeah, for sure, man. And they get super cagey around those feeders. Super cagey. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Well, mm-hmm. we have. Yeah, the. Uh, oh. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, a strategy a lot of people use is actually not hunting the feeder itself, but hunting downwind of the feeder, just like somebody would hunt downwind of a food plot. Uh, you know, there in the Midwest, trying to catch those bucks circling downwind. Same thing with a feeder. A feeder is just a mini food plot. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So just to wrap things up a little bit, Jeremy, you launch on Wednesdays, correct? Correct. And Andrew with the O2 podcast, you guys are Wednesday. Correct. And then John, your Oklahoma outdoors podcast is on Friday. Monday, Monday. Sorry. Sorry. Monday. Got to start the week off right. That's right. Starting the week off strong with Oklahoma, man. I'll tell you, Oklahoma has been on my radar. Thanks to your buddy, Tony Peterson. Uh, yeah, he brags on Oklahoma. I had a, I know it. he's bragging a little too much. Uh, I actually, I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago and, uh, I, I told him he needs to shut his mouth. I was wondering if you were going to ask him that. Cause it's like, <laughs> man, he, he talks about all the deer you can kill and you know how much fun it is to just go out there and slay a bunch of two year olds. And, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> so, but all right. <laughs> Guys, I'm curious. We're right here at the beginning of deer season. Whose season has started already and who's still waiting? I think I'm the only one that's, that's started. Are you guys all October 1st? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we got October 1st. Uh, I was hunting hogs last weekend. It's kind of a warm-up, but uh, deer season starts this Saturday. Nice. Yeah, the, nice. State of Pennsylvania does, the state of Pennsylvania does something a little weird where they give Pittsburgh and Philadelphia units – a two week window where you could start, uh, ahead of everybody else across the state. So I, I actually got a doe tag for one of those units cause my sister lives outside of Philly. So if I, whenever I have a travel, you know, go that route, if, if need be, I have some friends with some properties and there's a lot of kind of public land out, out that way as well. But yeah, it, it's, I don't know. I don't, I get it, but I don't get it. I would just wish like, give it, give it one week. So that way we could have started last weekend. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So why do they do that? Honestly, I don't know. I'm the worst person probably to ask when it comes to that type of stuff. But I mean, even their season gets extended as well. Like it kind of runs throughout just, I mean, their population is enormous just around those city limits. And, you know, obviously those deer could adapt. I mean, it's not uncommon to, uh, I mean, heck, even where I live where population is, uh, for deer hunters is, you know, enormous. Like our big woods are always kind of highly pressured, but I live by a high school here and I was walking my dog, dog the other night. And within that, that time frame of a loop of a, of a uh, mile by the baseball field, I saw, uh, like 15, 16 deer. I mean, it was just nuts. And half of them were in the baseball field. So it's just, I mean, there's a lot of deer and that outside the city limits, man, it's, it's chaotic. They give like 70,000 doe tags for, those units. Wow. Dude, you get into that baseball field and like slip some clover down in the turf? Well, I don't know what they're eating down there, but I'll tell you what, it was kind of a chaotic thing. I'm surprised I didn't get it. Like the police called on me because I was walking my dog and, uh, they were caught, they were stuck because one of the 
gates to get in there was just by the uh, away dugout, which is just a normal size door, uh, you know, gate opening. And the older deer were able to jump the fence. And all these other, the yearlings, the ones that couldn't jump the fence were just running sideways. And I opened up the big gate along the side and I walked in that smaller route with my dog. And, uh, you know, I'm like trying to like shoe them going across the whole outfield and they didn't want to do it. And they're like ramming themselves like into the fence. I'm like, Oh geez, someone's going to see this and think I'm like torturing these, these poor <laughs> animals. So, but after like five minutes in my, my dog trying to rip my arm out of my socket, we were able to get all of them out of the, uh, out of the baseball field. So it was a, it was an adventure to, to say the least. Yeah, man. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm actually getting out for my first hunt of the year. My season has been in, uh, I'm hunting a couple of different States. Two of them, the season is in Georgia and Wisconsin. I have not gotten out yet though, but I'm driving right now to, uh, for my first trip of the year and hoping to get out a good bit this weekend. I'm mostly on a, uh, trail camera mission, moving cameras around from kind of where I keep them during the summer. And in those first couple of weeks of the season where, you know, just gathering intel, and now I'm going to be pushing them back into uh, some traditional rut spots that I think are going to heat up because I've got uh, 15 days from the end of October on into November uh, that all I have to do is hunt, and so I'm I'm getting pretty geared up for that. Do you guys have uh, big plans for the year or a specific deer that you're after that that uh, kind of trip in your trigger as we head into October? I'll, I'll go first. I, I don't, um, I'm trying to learn more on how to utilize the terrain features. So that's kind of my thing. So I picked up a couple properties that I don't have a ton of experience with. Um, if you want to hear about the clown show known as my life, uh, you can listen to our episode from this week, um, in which I was able to take a doe It rivals the size of most cocker spaniels, but it's still meat in the freezer and it's, on that property, it is a uh, earn a buck type of thing. So you had to take the antler list before you could go for the antlers. So uh, that's one of those uh, properties that I'm going to work on. I got another one that's similar. Um, I got weird time spans when I can be in there and, and whatnot. But uh, my cameras do not have anything on them that's worth worth a damn. So uh, right now, it's just going to kind of be play it play it as we go. Um, I did ask a friend for some advice on where this one property on how to hunt it. And he told me, um, he may or may not be listening in on this call, but he told me where to sit and, or thought a place that would be good to sit. And then I didn't go quite that far, but then as I was sitting in my tree that night, I could see these huge antlers walking right where he had told me to go. And, uh, I kind of kicked <laughs> my, my own ass because I thought, man, I just listened to Dan. Yeah, man, if you want to get a guy to talk terrain features, Dan is your guy. Dan is your guy. Um, It's boring. It's boring. The emperor is here. The emperor is here, everyone. (laughs) Straighten up your behavior. The emperor has made an appearance. What's up, Dan? Oh, you know, just uh, I'm running three kids solo tonight, so I'm late to the meeting. I had football tonight. I had dance tonight. And so here it is, 8.30, and I'm just getting home. And I said, I told the kids, I said, listen, I want to be on this this call. I'll give you a cookie if you go downstairs and let me do this. I'll give you a, a cookie <laughs> right before bed, and you can stay up later. 
but you just got to leave me alone. And so here I am. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, so I, I've talked to the pros on here already. You've got a little yep. podcast too. And I, we could, little one. we could kind of, you know, help you out a little bit, maybe expose some of that. So tell, tell us about the podcast you host. Uh, I host the nine figure Chronicles podcast and the hunting gear podcast. Yeah. So Dan, Dan, you're one of the OGs, uh, of the podcasting world. You hunt primarily in Iowa. You were in Nebraska last week. Yeah. How'd that go? It was hot and I saw a decent number of deer, just no bucks. Uh, a lot of the units that I was hunting in or the areas that I was hunting in in Nebraska are a, um, they're a, no, you can't shoot mule deer does. You can only shoot mule deer bucks, whitetail does, and whitetail bucks. And so, man, I saw a ton of whitetail does. I saw a ton of mule deer does. And uh, so just, and, and from that standpoint, I can't shoot a mule deer doe. And I don't re- really want to drive 10 hours to shoot a whitetail doe when I can do that, you know, 15 minutes from my house. And so I was really only looking for mule deer buck, any legal mule deer buck, and any legal whitetail buck. And uh, long story short, they just didn't show up. And uh, I hunted hard for five days, and that was it. And then it was back to, back to being the, the chauffeur for the kids. There you go, man. There you go. Jeremy, what, what's on your docket for the year, man? I, you were just sharing offline. You've, you've recorded a bunch of podcasts, like getting some of that work stuff out of the way. So does this mean that your hunting is opening up pretty well for you? Oh, man, I freaking hope so. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like we were kind of talking about earlier about things to improve on and the whole scouting thing and the way, you know, letting some cameras soak and, uh, with the opener this weekend in Pennsylvania with that storm coming through. And like I said, uh, back in, on the Eastern side of Pennsylvania is where I'm focusing on, especially for the weekends. Uh, the wind does not look good. It's supposed to be raining all day, uh, especially where these spots are going. And I have a really nice buck on camera uh, that is uh, probably one of the biggest bucks that I've, I've ever had on camera. And tonight as I was driving home at 630, he daylighted. And, uh, it's, it's killing me just because I know the wind is not going to work whatsoever, uh, for me on Saturday. And, uh, on next Thursday, it is supposed to be 72 degrees. And on Friday, it's supposed to be 52 with a West, uh, a West and a Northwest wind. And that is what they are just blowing up that camera with. So <clears throat> I'll have a, uh, <clears throat> a little sickness on Friday for sure. Yeah, man, you're not looking good. You look like you're heading downhill. I know. I, I'm just, you know, I don't know. So that's, that's my game plan, man. Honestly, I'm just going to, uh, that, I mean, honestly, if, if a really nice eight point during, if I'm hunting that area and that spot really tips me off that I'm going to be extremely happy with. And, uh, but this 10 point is, is definitely something to, uh, get me excited for and maybe want to hold off on just because I'm putting a puzzle together, I guess you could say, but man, it's, if, as long as it's a, a beautiful buck and it gets me excited, I'll, I'll be more than happy to hopefully, you know, wrap my, my hands around that, that, that uh, bone for sure. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. 
Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target, and you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial, and then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. Just to, to take a, a sampling here of you guys that are on the show right now, who of you, are you guys hunting public? Are you hunting leases? Are you, are you uh, what are you doing? So I grew up hunting large leases in Alabama. You get 20 guys together and you lease out 3,600 acres. And that's just kind of how I grew up hunting. Then I switched over to basically all public, um, mostly because it's so tough to find a lease these days. Like it's just really hard to get in on one. So are you guys doing public? Leasing, land that you own, free permission. What does that look like? I'll go. I, I do a little bit of both. Um, just here in, in central PA where I live with my family, I hunt mainly uh, public. And back at home in northeastern Pennsylvania, it's mainly private with some other spots uh, uh, of public that I have some cameras and scouted out before. But So it's a little bit of a mixture for, for sure for me. Okay. Dan, I know so you're in a, Iowa. Go ahead. Yeah, so in, in, in Iowa, I'm hunt, hunting mostly private, like 90% private. I will hop on public if the opportunity is the right opportunity. But for the most part, it's uh, Iowa private, and then all of my out-of-state hunts are, are 100% public. Yeah, Dan, Iowa does not have a ton of public for the size of the state, no. right? No, it is. It's either 49 or 50. I think it's either between us and Kansas, actually, that has the least amount of public hunting ground in the entire country. So it's under, it's less than 2%. And so, you know, everybody has this preconceived notion that Iowa is like this giant big buck state. It is south of Interstate 80, and the public on their is flooded just like any other state come the rut, right? Um, we have, it's, it's harder to get a tag in that, in those states or in that unit, in these units uh, that everybody wants to go to, but still there is hunting pressure. And uh, yes, you can possibly run into like a 140 class buck every single year, but you're not going to be running into like, it's not as easy as everybody says it is. 
Yeah, yeah. So Dan, I've got I've got three points in Iowa right now. Uh, yeah, I can probably draw in the next year or two. My plan has been to head to the southern part of the state, where you know, kind of the big popular area where a lot of guys are going. And I was thinking of going during the rut. However, I have a connection in the northeastern part of the state, and I could probably draw there sooner. Would you recommend mm-hmm. that I head there, or should I hold out for Southern Iowa? So here's what I'll tell you. Um, I would say the style of hunting that you're going to be doing in Southern Iowa is more of the um, uh, ag ground, the the bed, pinch point, staging area, uh, agricultural food source type of hunting, as opposed to the northeast section, which of Iowa, which is really two and a half, maybe three counties up there. And, and those three though, hold, um, if you're going to look strictly at the record books, there's more, a uh, record book deer come out of Northeast Iowa than Southern Iowa. Um, with that said though, the terrain is way steeper. It's Mississippi river Valley, like steep. And I don't know if you've ever been into, the southwest portion of Wisconsin, southeast Minnesota, northeast Iowa, it is up and down. And the deer get big there because they have a lot of terrain to hide in. And guys aren't walking up these big, big hills to get to the, you know, to where these deer are living. And if you're willing to put in the, the energy and the time, you can walk out of there with something special. Yeah, man. I, I turkey hey, hunted. Yo. Uh, you forgot that Dan's buying the Sportsman's Empire Farm uh, this coming year. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, right. Actually, yeah. John, right. last time you brought that up, man, I think Dan said we had to all yeah. contribute like $200,000 or something like that to buy said farm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that I'm there mm-hmm. yet. I mean, I'm, I like the whole podcasting thing, but it hasn't quite gotten me to that level. Um, maybe somebody with a show like Dan's <laughs> can can afford that but uh dan is that in the works right. true. that's true right yeah hey yeah guys i'm working on it well you just you just let us know until then we can all yeah. flood oklahoma and kill like 30 deer a year no, with the tags they no. give us there right 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 <laughs> pretty close to it pretty close to it. john do you have anything that you're uh that you're chasing this year or looking forward to or any out-of-state trips planned Man, it's actually, so, uh, I actually, I already took one quick out of, out of state trip. Uh, my sister gave me the best gift she's ever given me. She married a Nebraska farm boy. And so Labor Day weekend, I ran up there real quick. Just, I think I hunted two evenings. Um, it was more of a scouting thing for the future. Uh, cause I'd never been up there. Um, and so I, I, I've technically been on a little hunt. Um, this year with my young baby, it's pretty much just going to be Oklahoma and Texas. Um, Oklahoma, it's pretty much, it's kind of the same as Dan. It's, you know, 90 to 95% private, a little bit of public. Um, and then Texas, I get super lucky. I have a good high school buddy that has two, uh, leases that he lets me hunt. I'm one of maybe two or three guys that kind of has free range of them. Um, so kind of, you know, I can go there pretty much anytime I want and, uh, shoot just about whatever I want, as long as it's kind of within his limits, you know, um, he manages them to the to the nth degree um but uh but yeah here in oklahoma actually i i would love to throw this out to you guys because something that i've been kind of uh, battling myself with 
uh, over in the corner over here, I have a 64 inch longbow that I've been shooting all year. And my goal this year is to just kill any deer with this longbow. And, uh, I have, uh, kind of a management type buck that's been coming in the last couple evenings and I'm getting on my cell cams and I'm really trying to convince myself to shoot this buck, even though it's quite a bit smaller than the, the typical buck that I would be chasing here. Um, and so I, I'm curious to hear from you guys, like where, uh, how much would you take off of what you normally chase in order to accomplish a goal, like killing one with a longbow? I'll tell you this right now, John, if you kill a deer with a longbow, your brand, as far as you, who you are in my eyes goes way up. I don't know. There's something about traditional archery that if you kill a big buck with traditional gear, you're the shit, like you're the man. And so like, I don't know what it is. It's like, you can't, there's nothing bad you can say about a person if they get the job done with tradi- like a, a trad bow. Yeah. Agreed, man. Agreed. Any, any deer with a trad bow in my mind is like fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it trumps I, compound. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm slicing and dicing a, a year and a half old basket rack. If I've got a long bow in my hands, <laughs> you guys, yeah, you guys just it, need to know. Uh, so this, yeah, this past week, actually, when Jeremy talked about his uh, his weather, I was very jealous. We're we're in the middle of a cold front right now, and it was eighty five degrees today. Mm-hmm. Um, on Saturday, I was sitting in my tree stand hunting hogs, and it was ninety eight degrees. Um, and I actually had a group of hogs come out. I had my longbow with me, and uh, at sixteen yards, I grazed one's belly, shot just under it. I mean, a little bit of blood, but not much. Um, but I will say like, I, I've, I've killed a lot of hogs, like hogs don't do it for me anymore. I've killed them with, uh, rifle shotguns, bows, pistols. Uh, I have, I've killed two out of my truck window with a nine millimeter, like concealed carry pistol. So like hogs just don't get me that excited anymore, but sitting there in that stand holding that longbow when those hogs came out, my heart started thumping. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm really trying to talk myself into shooting whatever is me, uh, be you know an opportunity and i have a feeling when that moment comes i'm going to be pretty darn happy with whatever it is yeah man. i hear that you guys have a, have a drive-by season for hogs uh <laughs> <laughs> i might be into that now man, yeah places but, uh, I, I, I hate those suckers dude places where hogs are thick man it, it landowners and and folks who are hunting those areas you got to take it seriously I mean, it gets, it gets really, really bad. So I hunted in Louisiana for four or five years. Uh, I think it was. And, um, I hunted on one place, a guy had 700 acres and they would have weekends before and after deer season where they did what they called. I don't condone this necessarily. They had uh, a thing they called drink, drive and shoot. So what you did is you took, they had, they had all golf carts. The whole place was golf carts. So you got on a golf cart with a driver you all drank beer and you drove from feeder to feeder to feeder and you shot whatever hogs were at the feeder when you pulled up on the feeder. And by the time you made the loop around the property, they would be back out at the next feeder. That's more, that's more pest control than like sporting. Oh, oh, for sure. (laughs) No, it's, it's full on pest control at that point. Yeah. So, uh, two years ago, uh, our neighbor to the West, uh, he was turning 40, and so his wife, for his birthday, rented him a helicopter to, to do a helicopter hog hunt. 
And so they were calling the neighbors asking permission. And of course we said, sure. This was like uh, late August, early September. So, you know, before deer season and on our place alone, I think he killed 63 hogs out of the helicopter. And then that year, I think I killed 35 during deer season. Like not like I was not hunting hogs. I was just deer hunting and the hogs would come out. Um, so yeah, there it's other people are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Dude, hogs will make you do crazy things. Let them, uh, let them move in on one of your one of your hunting properties and root up an entire road so bad that you can't drive down it anymore, and you'll you'll be looking to kill every single one of them. Absolutely, and hey, I've discovered through going to hunting shows and through the podcast, they're a great bargaining tool. Uh, so you were talking about your Iowa. I actually I have five Iowa points, and uh, I met a guy at the ATA show last year. And he was, you know, wanting to come down and hog, and hog hunt. Uh, his uncle actually came down and hunted our place last year. And I pretty much have a, an open invitation to come hunt his Iowa place uh, next year just because of hogs. So you got to take advantage of what you got. Man, those crazy uh, folks up north will do anything for a hog. I, <laughs> I would think 63 hogs equal one Iowa whitetail. <laughs> pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> Oh, very good, man. Well, it's, hey, it's BYOH. It's BYOH, though. You got to bring your own helicopter. I got gotcha. you. Nice, nice. So, one of the things we mentioned earlier that we kind of wanted to get to is the thing that you're working on for this year. Like the thing that you're thinking, man. I I just want to get better at this one aspect of hunting. I I try to go into each year with that, and I'll I'll go first and kind of share mine, and then maybe we can just go around and you guys tell me what are you working on. Mine is. Uh, inspired b- again by Dan, uh, Andrew, I'm, I'm learning to listen to Dan. So in years past, those first couple of cold fronts that would roll through or, you know, as soon as hunting season opens, I would just absolutely hit the ground running and I'm hunting every chance I get and I'm bugging my wife to go hunting every chance I get. Um, this year I'm taking a more measured approach, which is why I have 15 days off during the rut so that I can go hunt. Um, but I, I'm trying to trying to sort of bide my time a little bit, be a little bit more patient, and wait to get in there until you know that prime time of the season. And you know, I've seen Dan do that for the past several years. As long as I've been listening to Dan's podcast, it seems like he you know is waiting for that prime time of the season before he really gets too wrapped up in Iowa whitetails. Um, you know, so I'm curious what what are you guys working on? I'm working on that whole patience piece, like. Just wait until prime time. You're going to have better sits. You're going to have better hunting, and you have just as much of you know odds of, of having success if you just wait just a little bit. What about you guys? I'll go. <laughs> I was just waiting for someone to crack the ice <laughs> on that one. Um, I, you know, Josh, that's a really good point. I kind of agree with that. That's kind of been my mentality going into the season, like I said, like my off season thing was the whole scouting aspect of, of, uh, the hunting game, I guess you could call it. And for the actual hunting aspect, my thing is to be a little bit more patient. Like I said, you know, obviously this past crazy week and a half, I've been getting daylight buck photos and it's like, I'm going in there. It doesn't matter like what the wind is, but it's like, I want to play the long game here and not screw it up within the first two you know, first hunt because I have another opportunity to hunt that within the first two weeks before things shift again here in the big woods, basically. So, you know, my thing has been patience. And if that means to spend an extra day with my wife and my daughter 
they, that will allow me to go out another evening to maybe shoot a doe locally, then, you know, that, that's the game I want to play. So to be a little bit more patient, to, to kind of play that longer game rather than just, Oh, I'm, I'm free tonight. I'm going to go hunt for two hours. I'm going to strategically make sure the wind's good and not just say I have the night free. I might as well go. I want it to be a meaningful sit, have a purpose and, uh, you know, be calculated with, with my, my sips. Yeah, that's awesome. man. that's a good point too, about, uh, you know, an, an extra day here and there with your wife and daughter. That's huge. I know Dan has been putting in the time earning brownie points. I'm trying to keep my wife from finding out everything that Dan has been doing for, for his family over the last couple of months, because I don't have the time for that kind of brownie point level. Uh, Dan, you, you, you pretty much nailed it this year. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at some brand new furniture right now that, uh, that bought me about, I'm going to say three and a half, four days worth of hunting. <laughs> so, so there's our farm to hunt on. Dan's yeah. on it. Yeah. Well, I have to, right. If I even want to hunt, right. So I'm sorry, the down payment this year went to furniture. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, have you, have you worked out a dollar figure yet that, that equals out to a day or a half day of hunting? Like, have you figured out uh, no. what that dollar figure is? Cause no. I would love to learn it. I could probably go lease the most expensive farm in Iowa uh, for for the amount of uh, that I pay in brownie points. <laughs> oh man! All right, what else are you guys sort of working on this year? I'll, I'll go. Uh, so for me, this has kind of been something that I've been learning over the past couple of years. Uh, this last season, I had my best season ever. Um, I killed three great bucks last year. Um, but going into this season with my new baby and also I've already, pretty much all my vacation time is spoken for. Um, I'm going on a late season elk hunt in November and then uh, my family went on a vacation this spring. So as far as whitetail are concerned, I, I'm essentially going to be a weekend warrior. And then with the new baby, like I am hoping that I can get two long weekends, like, you know, get to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So for me, it's being, uh, being content and having fun with, whatever buck happens to step out in front of me, not necessarily holding out for just, you know, the one or two biggest, baddest bucks out there, but just kind of like what I was talking about with the longbow earlier, like enjoying the hunt for what it is and not because of the rack that's on the buck that I'm chasing, you know, having fun being out there, uh, just, just being out there in nature, you know, hunting deer, doing what I love, um, because again, like, you know, I, I, I hope to get to go several weekends. Um, uh, but even that, I don't know. Cause, uh, you know, our, our baby's not sleeping through the night. My wife can only take so much. And so let's say I only get to hunt six weekends, which so that might be a lot to a lot of people, but, uh, to me, it's not very much, you know, if I, I have to make the most of uh, the most of those opportunities. And so, uh, just seeing like a good deer, coming in you know maybe it's during the rut and he's brussled up or it's you know early season and i just pattern this buck uh taking that buck for what it is in that moment and being happy with it man that's, that's good stuff that's really good stuff dan what about you man are you you got anything that you're working on trying to to learn this year you feel like you're dialed there in iowa uh i got a brand new farm uh that i got access to and that's gonna be from scratch right so i so it's going to be starting the process of learning that farm all over, like learning a new piece of property. And ultimately that's what I love is the, the chess match 
You know, I, I know that's an overused term when people start talking about deer hunting strategy, but it, it's the truth. Um, the, the, like seeing how deer move through the landscape, finding out where the pinch points are, uh, the funnels, the bedding areas, the food sources, how they move through the terrain on specific wind directions, all of that stuff, figuring it out. I, I know for a fact I'm going to get busted. And so like going into, an, it's been a while since I've hunted a brand new farm like that. It's like, it's not public, right? So I, I look at, I look at a piece of public different than I would a property that, um, a, a brand new property. For some reason, hunting public is always new to me um, whenever I, I do it. And I'm not a public land junkie where I only hunt public, but anything can happen in public. This is going to be more of a controlled environment. Um, I might be the only guy who has access to this farm. So that's awesome, right? I mean, no one's going to complain about that. And so I'll really be able to, my, my goal is to straight up catch these deer off guard and, and really go into a new farm with the knowledge base that I've collected throughout all the years I've put into a tree stand and, and really test myself to see if what I've learned is, is actually usable strategy or is it just like, Hey, I've hunted this farm for 13, my other farm for like 13 or 14 years. Is it just because I've hunted it so long, I know what they're doing, or do I actually know how deer use terrain and how they use wind to their advantage and, and things like that? So it'll ultimately be a test for me going into a new property to see if I know anything or not. And so the goal is to apply what I've learned on this new property and see what kind of learning curve I have on it. Man, that's really good. So is that going to look like, um, you know, a, a, a pretty intense trail camera regimen for you? Or is it going to look like observation sits and kind of working from the outside in on this property? What's that going to look like? I think this is how I kind of approach every season. And is, man, I, I used to not, I used to try to avoid going in and checking trail cameras, right? But these days, right off the bat, it's going to start with a big trail camera check. I'm going to look at see what kind of deer are available, what kind of movement is in these areas, and then I will attack whatever area has the most, I guess, the best to offer. And so it, it will tell me where to hunt, and it will tell me where to not put as much time in, which is equally as important when you're talking about um, hunting strategy. So... The, the trail camera data is definitely going to come into play, but like we've mentioned earlier in, in this conversation, just, well, maybe that was a conversation I had earlier today. Just because you have trail cameras out doesn't mean you're capturing everything that's going on in the woods. So um, you got to use your brain as well. And, and that's part of it, but trail cameras can tell you a lot. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And Andrew, you, man, you've got, You've got your hands full this year trying to teach Paul how to hunt out of a saddle. Uh, so I, I know that's one thing that you're working on this year. We can give him crap because he's not here. Um, so, but, but, but what else What else are you working on learning this year or sort of, you know, honing in on? 
So for me, I, I, I've got a few things I wrote down, but like, um, first and foremost, I have to fill the freezer like that. I need about three deer to feed through the year. Right. Um, that's about all we eat in our house. So that's, I put a little bit of pressure on myself to have that done. Now you guys talk a lot about patience. I have a different kind of patience that I need to work on. And it's, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go against what you guys are saying where you're like, back off, back off. I, to me, I want to be in the woods and see what's going on. I need to get more experience with that, but my patience needs to come with the shots. Uh, I get a little bit jumpy and excited and it doesn't matter if it's a little doe or a big buck. It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I need to slow down and have patience. And I get this idea in my mind that as soon as I draw back, everything in the woods is looking at me. And I know that deep down, that's not really what's happening. And I end up rushing things and, uh, it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. So, um, that's probably my biggest patience. And then, uh, full disclosure, I would like to kill my first buck with a bow this year. So, uh, if that can happen, those are my goals, man, that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. Yeah. I've, I have gone a long time and had a lot of, a lot of instances where, um, a deer walks out, I draw my bow and I black out and I like wake up and there's an arrow gone. And I'm like, what just happened? I have no clue where I hit the deer, if I hit the deer and, and what happens. I, I, I will echo that, man. That's, that's something I'm trying to get better at this year. Uh, even changed up my bow sight, hoping to, you know, to give a totally different sight picture to try to sort of open that up and just get me out of the, the whole concept of having a bunch of pins floating out in front of me and all that kind of thing. So, uh, well guys, we've been going, I will say one thing. I'm going to say one thing here on, uh, on what Andrew said. It took me a long time to get comfortable, not necessarily having deer within shooting range, but at full draw, not blacking out like what you said, Josh. And, and here's what I'll say. You can go listen to a podcast. You can read an article. You can get all the knowledge secondhand about how to master buck fever, but you will never master buck fever unless you have buck fever. And unless you are talking to your, like, I still, I still to this day am saying, dude, calm down, make the shot, calm down and make, I'm talking to myself the whole time. Uh, because if I don't, I, I slip away and I lose it. And then that's where the errors happen. But it, there's that saying that when you win a championship, you got to act like you've been there. You do, you have to, you, you can't black out or, or mistakes come. But the only reason you, or the only way to learn how to do that is to put yourself in position where you're encountering the, the caliber of deer that get you crazy like that. And so it took me eight years or something like that to get comfortable around big deer. And I messed up a lot of times in that in time frame. Yeah, man, that that's really, really good. I, before I master my buck fever, I've got to master my doe fever. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm hoping to get three I've or four never on the heard ground. That term before. Oh, dude, I got it. I got it bad. It doesn't matter what deer walks out. If I know I'm shooting it, I'm losing my mind. I'll kind of I'll, I'll kind of just you know quickly just another side thing is you know like I said with education and being the mental side and being a coach and playing you know sports my whole life, man. I I think visualizing even the visual reps have played a part. Like 
that deer that, like that deer that I talked about now, like I know this is going to sound so corny, but I got my, my heart pumping because earlier, because I visualized about a hundred different scenarios of me shooting that buck of like him walking away, him turning right him turning left, like me having to stop him. And I've gone through the shot process every single time. And I've got myself worked up to a point where it's like, I'm visually seeing what's going to hopefully occur. And man, that it, that's helped me. And it's just, it's that visual reps. And like Dan said, like, that's been my thing too, is just like talking to myself, like, it's okay, calm down, you know, make your shot, make your shot, make your shot. And going through that shot process, like, I mean, that's a whole other episode is going through that type of stuff, but the visual reps and talking through through that scenario, to me, it paid dividends for sure. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, guys, we've been going for almost an hour, not quite, but uh, hey, I appreciate you all coming on. Uh, folks need to go check out all of your different podcasts. We've got the Antler Up podcast with Jeremy, uh, the O2 podcast with Andrew and Paul, Oklahoma Outdoors with John. And then obviously the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Hunting Gear podcast with Mr. Dan Johnson, the emperor himself. Guys, I appreciate you coming on this evening. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Enjoyed it. Yep. Good luck, guys. Yep. Good luck to you all as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Thanks to all of our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. If you're looking for some more great whitetail content, head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other show, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and the shows of all the other guests from today's episode. 